What's up, rabbit hole dwellers? Today we had Nicholas Gregory on the show today. And Nick, he's uh, one of the guys behind Civkit and uh, Mercury Wallet. And, mate, I've got to tell you, Joel, a lot of what he was talking about was over my head. It was all <laughs> sort of uh, highbrow technical speak. And uh, I was nodding along a lot of the time. And I was like, mate, I've, I've got no idea what he's on about. So this guy's knowledge around sort of coding and, and tech is next level. Uh, what did you think? I find it very interesting that we had the um, London-New York comparison because he was living uh, in New York when he discovered Bitcoin and, you know, uh, moved to London and sort of Mm, gave mm, us an insight mm, there. So I think it was generally a well-packed episode, not really a theme. So obviously a bit tech-focused, but we we covered a lot of ground. So that was cool. Yeah, so let's go straight into this rabbit hole and stay curious, guys. Hello, fellow rabbit hole dwellers. Welcome back to yet another episode of Rabbit Hole Story. And I've got the uh, pleasure of introducing Nicholas Gregory here on the show with us today. And um, Nicholas and I, uh, we've met in real life a couple of times and uh, we've shared a pint together. I'm looking forward to linking up again uh, fairly soon. And I want to um, help you sort of um, introduce the things that you're working on within uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem. And I know, obviously, one of those is Civkit because, um, you know, you've been quite uh, busy campaigning that um, I've seen you in Amsterdam with Ray, um, you know, and you've obviously got an online presence with um, Twitter or X with your live streams and all that sort of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I'm quite interested to sort of uh, delve deep into your, uh, that's going to sound a little bit sexual, I know, but delve deep into your Bitcoin rabbit hole and um, (laughs) understand how how you discovered Bitcoin, Nicholas, and and what it is that you're doing in the space now. So over to you, my friend. Yeah, it wasn't a sexual uh, moment when I discovered Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a software. <laughs> yeah. It was close, though. I mean, I was in the gym, actually. So, oh, right, but, um, okay. <laughs> well, I was, so I'm, I'm a software engineer by trade, but I, I used to work for the banks, the big, ugly banks. And somehow I ended up with, uh, finding myself in New York. And I was working for a bank, Merrill Lynch or JP Morgan, one of the two. I mean, I can't remember which one when I transitioned, but, um, I knew about Bitcoin quite a while cause I'd seen it mentioned on, um, slash dot a few times, but I'd, I'd be honest, I never really paid attention to it. And then a guy, a good friend of mine at the gym just said, Hey, let's mine Bitcoin. I went, what are you on about? And I didn't realize you could actually sit at home and you know, switch on your computer and make money. And yeah, that from then I started looking at it. Now I, I did miss the initial mining where I, I think I, that conversation was around 2012, 2013. So it had already moved to like GPU mining. And then when I, when I looked at it in, on, you know, on YouTube, people were mining in their basements, but they were already doing quite substantial stuff. But that's how I, I started to pay attention. I was working in banks anyway. So, you know, like a lot of people in the banking industry, we were very confused by 2008, you know, how our banks got bailed out. So I was already pissing around and looking at, you know, gold bugs and questioning the value of money. And yeah, when I got into Bitcoin, it was really that journey. I mean, I wasn't sold on it straight away. I had I had a few mental blocks around it, like the 10 minute block time. I was like, no one's ever going to use this 10 minutes and stuff. And, and, you know, it was very different than other digital currency I saw, but it took me probably about six months after really looking at it to really for the penny to drop. But then, you know, about two years later, I decided to start working full time. And that's like at some point around 2016, I, I started Commerce Block, which was in New York. So originally I was building software for OTC developers. You know, New York was famous for the uh, 
the bit license, which made uh, you know working in Bitcoin very hard. But where regulators do something stupid, opportunities arise, and you know it was a big thriving OTC market back then, but built around the local Bitcoins, and I got involved with that, and that's how I started building software for for Bitcoin with uh, via Commerce Block. And you know, I, I think I met Ray. So you've mentioned Civkit. I met Ray in 2014 at various Bitcoin meetups in New York as well. So that's how you know we we got to know each other. And then I, I moved back to London around 2017 and continued with Commerce Block and been doing the same thing ever since. Wait, so your your banking uh, background was that um, more the technical side of banking, or was that kind of sort of financial? Um, like uh, yeah, was you I was. Sort of building, like doing- yeah. Yes, I was a software engineer for a bank. So I worked on the trade floor on on, on what's called a quant desk. So if you know what derivatives are, you know, options, you know, futures, I would build trading systems to price them or to hedge their risk on them. So about very much a software engineer, you know, on on the banking side of things. And and with um, that, I'm I'm assuming that there was um, that introduction or that suggestion about Bitcoin, did that come from your banking background or was that um, friend in the gym sort of completely a separate entity and it was just for a social conversation? Social conversation. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I'm not a lifetime lifetime banker. I, I'm, as I said, I was a software engineer who got into banking. Again, mm-hmm. around 2005, 2006, you, know, you get a phone call from a bank you know, they, they more or less double your salary. <laughs> and that was the culture back then. You know, if you, if you wanted to work for, if you were a software engineer living in London, I was living in London at the time, you get a call from the bank, it's 2x what you were making. So that's how I got into banking. And, uh, and you know, it's a big, it's a very much a cultural shift. You, you, you know, you're a software engineer, you're, you're in an office with mainly men in a dark room in the basement. You go to a trade floor, you see women, <laughs> pretty women. It's more social. You're speaking to traders. It's a very different culture, but and yeah, you know, a bit more crazy, a bit more fun, a bit more weird. You know, code would be built on a Thursday, shipped on a Friday. So how has how has um, the Bitcoin? Have, do you still have contact to the Bitcoin community in New York, or how has that uh, evolution been for you? Because you sort of dabbled into it. You then left New York. You got to London. You met Ray. Do you still have other contacts there? Because I think a lot of them, at least the people I know, they all moved away. Um, do you get any idea there? Yeah, um, I, not since COVID. A lot of people I knew left. Mm. Uh, left during the covid period but you know some of the guys that um they still i still working with them in commerce block i mean i would mm. go to bit devs bit devs was a lot i mean but there's a bit devs in london but you know bit devs in london is 12 mm. people mm. bit quiet whereas you know bit devs in new york was quite a make a thing you know mm. when i started going to bit devs in new york it was already 15 to 20 people when i left i heard it went up to 80 people so it was quite a wow. substantial meetup but yeah, yeah, I still speak to people occasionally. I mean, over the years, more and more people have left. I mean, I, mm. I wasn't there when they had that pub. Was it called Pub Key? I mean, yeah, that's way yeah. after my time. And but yeah, I met, I met a lot of people. Some of the people that were regulars were people like Matt Carello. I got to know um, Trace Mayer, who, if you're an OG, which I guess before 2020, he used to be. For me, he was the Michael Saylor of Bitcoin before Michael Saylor. You know, he he used to show up to Bit Devs quite a lot and come in with his macro view and. Yeah, I got to know him quite well as well there. One of my questions actually uh, was um, what what inspirational voices have you found um, in the Bitcoin ecosystem? What what sort of um, resonates with you? And do you have any kind of um, 
people that you look towards when sort of or, or, or agree with when you're talking about Bitcoin to other people? Yeah, I mean, I would say Trace Mayer in the early days was quite interesting because, um, you know, he I think he was a lawyer by trade, if I remember. And, you know, going to BitDev, seeing him, you know, talking about, I think he, yeah, it was great having him there because, you know, it was a bit devs, which is very nerdy, very talking about C++ and talking about low level stuff of Bitcoin. But he gave it a different context as well, explained how, you know, the eventuality of something like Bitcoin because of the monetary failings of uh, the dollar. And, you know, I think before he got into Bitcoin, he he was very much into the gold community. So I think that that was useful. Uh, from a tech point of view, you know, there, there's a lot of great tech, technical people in New York. You know, when I was there, Matt Carello was there. He'd moved over from San Francisco, You know, one of uh, <clears throat> the early developers. You had Chain Code Labs there, so there was always a few Chain Code Labs people at the Bitcoin meetups. Uh, the guys running BitDevs in New York, I won't say their name because they, they're kind of anon, but everyone knows who they are. I mean, the New York BitDevs is pretty pretty great if you're... If you're someone who wants to know the technology and don't want to do the hard work, you can just go to BitDevs and they do it all for you, which is which is great. Was, and so that was really good good vibe there. You you mentioned the um, BitDevs in London is significantly smaller compared to the US one, yeah. and obviously all of us in here being. Um, European based. I, I know if I say we're European, Ian comes yeah. up again with like, oh, we have Brexit, um, but we we're on the Europe side of things. Um, do you see this as a challenge sometimes in specifically Bitcoin building, Bitcoin software, where that focus is predominantly US based, or is there um, a lot of stuff happening in the background for non-developers in the ecosystem? Um, well, I think there is a big developer community in London. I think mm -hmm. maybe one of the reasons it's quiet is because of a certain fake Satoshi goes around suing people. Mm -hmm. so, but, you know, you do have Brink in London, which is big. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they employ three or four devs. Um, you know, you got, yeah, you got lots of guys. You got Antoine Riard, who's, you know, lightning guy. I worked with him on CivKit. I met him in London. You know, I met him because of the Bitcoinology meetup, which I think is kind of like a bridge. It's not as extreme technical as BitDevs. It's somewhere in the middle. And also I've met you guys at uh, London Bridge, Bridges. There was, I never met that kind of like more chilled out community in London, um, uh, in New York. And I think, you know, in London, they've kind of got a good, good mix there, which I kind of enjoy. It's a bit more chilled out. So, yeah, like the London the London versus New York thing, it took me a while to get into because I came here working all the time. But since mm. I met the London Bitcoin spaces, the plebs, it's, I, I've gotten to understand it. I mean, I spent a bit of time with the Bridges to Bitcoin guys as well. Yeah, that's kind of cool, the way they go around the countryside trying to onboard small businesses into Bitcoin. That's, that's unique. Yeah, I never saw that in mm. New York. In New York, it was very much, very much more serious, yeah. I mean, New York is the financial hub of the world. Uh, every big investment bank, mainly every investment bank is based out of New York and does the decisions mm -hmm. there. Um, so I think there's a big shift there happening as well. Um, but for you personally, having seen both the banking and the um, Bitcoin world, what drove you into specific infrastructure with Commerceblock? Um, or has that always been something that's on your mind? Because I think we can then bridge quite a nice gap over to CIFKIT as well. Yeah, just it's just my background. Um, I I went into banking to build infrastructure. I I'm, I wasn't someone who understood. I didn't have the background in financial engineering. I mean, I can I know roughly how to price the derivatives, but I'm not something who you know enjoys that terribly. I I literally went there to help build compute grids. So if you can think of like um, 
supercomputers like you know when you combine you know multiple machines to do a, an expensive calculation banks do that to basically price a derivative so they do things like things like called monte carlo simulation they throw a lot of variables what happens if interest rates double what happens if the yen trebles how does that you know how how are derivatives on say equities repriced so i did a lot of that work so it's just it's just my background i'm from a kind of compute grid infrastructure background and yeah that's what i do and yeah when, when you you know when i looked at bitcoin you know i wasn't i wasn't necessarily i didn't necessarily look into it thinking how i could build software it just kind of evolved um i met guys at bitdevs who were trading bitcoin they were doing otc work they, they you know back then if you go to like some of these meetups they're always looking for like i guess nerds or geeks or coders like me to potentially do things in the evening you know life had it so i had some spare time i just you know I had a kid with someone in New York, so I was spending many evenings on my own with a kid, uh, a little newborn. So I was happy to just like bang out some code and experiment a bit. So once um, you found the value in Bitcoin and um, mm-hmm. obviously you, you found that you could utilize your skills within the Bitcoin ecosystem, what sort of things have you been working on and, and what can we expect um, from the likes of Civkit and any other things that you're working on within Bitcoin? Yeah, so I mean, the first project I worked on really seriously after OTC was building Bitcoin sidechains. And um, yeah, obviously sidechains in Bitcoin failed, for, and there's a lot of reasons. But we, we basically raised money and we had some clients, but it never kind of became big to build individual sidechains based on Bitcoin. And the code's still there. And But one of the technologies we built was something called Mainstay. So mainstay is like this proof of publication protocol, which basically takes timestamps, but it takes timestamps based on the previous timestamps work. And it basically, we used it, we originally wrote it to basically secure a sidechain. So to make sure that the history of the sidechain could never be tampered with. And, you know, we've never shut this thing down. It's actually, we've always run it. We've been running it since 2018. We used it in Mercury, which I'll talk about in a bit. And when we looked at CivKit, one of the issues with Civkit of a decentralized Civkit is actually a, it's basically building an order book on Nostra, settling on Lightning. But one of the issues of like you know uh, an order book is how do you prove the order book was what you said at that point in time? If me and you do a trade and there's some issue like you know I try and buy a gift card off you, the gift card never shows up. What's the history? And as you know, the best history in the world is the Bitcoin blockchain. You know, can't beat that. You, know, you, you, you need serious horsepower to reverse engineer that or to, to rewind that. So that's one of the things that we're you know, using CivKit for, not using Mainstay for on CivKit to do a form of proof of publication so that you know the history of CivKit is stored on the Bitcoin blockchain, but anonymously. So one of the things, my very minor contributions I did to Bitcoin was wrote a BIP, BIP175, and that was basically using pay to contract where you basically attest data on the Bitcoin blockchain, but you can't see it. So there's no opt return, nothing. It's just like a dumb transaction. And Mainstay uses that. So if you guys are trading gift cards, trading, I don't know, whatever you guys collect, you know, rare sats, ordinals, whatever you want, the history of that would be on the Bitcoin blockchain, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't, it'd be private. Only you guys would know where to look, uh, know where it is. And then that's one of the big things we're building into Civkit. And that's, uh, yeah, that's probably up. And that's something that we've finished. It's kind of in the current, Civkit's not live at the moment. It's very much in 
pre-beta, but that's one of the things that's working at the moment. And so, I mean, that's been our so far biggest contribution from a technical point of view. Yeah, because one of the things that I um, remember, because we spoke to Ray about this way back um, early on in our uh, rabbit hole stories journey, and um, mm-hmm. he was talking about, uh, well, he was effectively introducing CivKit at the time, and he was talking mm-hmm. about um, the opportunity for anyone to create a marketplace um, of whatever it is that they want to do. And this sort of free market approach really of basically you can just go on CivKit and just sort of like start your own commerce. And I, and I can see the value in what you just explained about doing transactions and having these dummy transactions. Well, obviously it like, um, I, I see it as a potential of exponential trading online via the, um, by using Bitcoin. Is, is that something mm-hmm. you see and or hope for? Or what is your kind of, I know, uh, technically, CivKit is something you've created, but um, I'm guessing from hearing in between the lines, and I don't know if you agree with this, you're sort of like releasing it into the world rather than taking ownership of it in some way, right? Yeah, so CivKit is very much like BTC Pay Server. It's just a GitHub repo and a website. Yes, I own the website, but it's not a company behind it. And it's just a GitHub repo. I mean, the original idea, so Ray... The original idea, Ray Ray was talking about decentralizing peer-to-peer marketplaces for years. I mean, he was talking to me about it for years. Um, He felt that there there would be a time and a place in the future where you just could not have a centralized um, peer-to-peer marketplace. I think, you know, he's obviously American. He felt running an American business, he could never KYC and AML Africans. Um, Africa is, is his sweet spot. That's where he has his most users. That's where... More or less, he spends most of his time. And he said having an American company would never work for these people because the cost of compliance was too much. So for us, you know, the technology started to align. And there, there were a few things that started um, making this a reality. Uh, one, one guy um, who's not on the CivKit team, but, you know, I think his work kind of allowed that to happen was Fiat Jaff on Nostra. I mean, I'd heard about Nostra for years. I think most people in Bitcoin had, but it just looked like a, a noddy little thing that you know, was interesting, not really happening. Jack Dorsey basically gives it a massive donation of 14 Bitcoin to Fiat Jaff. Yeah, and, and the Nostra community has, has gone nuts, really. I mean, I, I can't tell you what's going on in Nostra because there's a new app or a new thing in Nostra every day. I mean, you, you need it needs its own website for for, for 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 news or what's happening there. But you know, when you see Nostra blowing up, you think, okay, well, that's a place you can, you know, put these order books. And Nostra has this because it's you know totally decoupled to anything in the world. It's it can't be shut down. You know, you have an order book; it can be replicated on multiple Nostra nodes. You try and you know kill it, you're in whack-a-mole role uh, world. And then, of course, Lightning started to show promise. Lightning again had a slow start. You know wasn't really being used up until the last year or so. I think Nostra helped. You started seeing people zapping left, right, and center. I think that built momentum. So those two things, you know, I think started to look look like this was doable. I also, at the same time, started hanging out with a guy called Antoine Riard in London. You know, clearly, I didn't have the time with Commerce Block to work on this or work on the white paper myself. You know, he'd done some ideas. He had some ideas on... Uh, lightning vulnerabilities around channel jamming uh, i think i spoke to him could that be used to like you know protect an order book from being ddosed so yeah when when he was open to that you know he decided you know we i introduced him to ray and he he basically started working on the white paper and 
and then he's been working on version one release, which I think we've, we're on V2 release, which should happen this week. And then we've got new developers joining. So, and they're, they're funded by Ray's company, No One's. I mean, I, I obviously do this as a side thing, but obviously I'm trying to promote commerce block technology into this as well. So if Nostra is successful, I like to think there'll be a lot of mainstay attestations. So my company will benefit as well. Cool. And I guess the um, main thing behind Nostra is really opening up um, essentially the whole world. Um, and I've, if I remember correctly, uh, Ray also explained to us that uh, KYC, obviously the way it's being implemented these days really is the enemy. Because if you think about, you know, data collectors and suddenly important mm -hmm. sensitive data getting on markets and like wrench attacks and these things. But the way you guys apparently implementing is a know your peer system as well. Can you maybe fault, you know, as soon as you hear like identification in whatever realm, people go nuts. Can you maybe explain how these are yeah. also benefits to um, having such systems? Because as you said, we need to verify if the information we've been shown is, is accurate or not. Yeah, so the KYP stuff, I mean, it's still very much <clears throat> an idea. <laughs> hasn't been implemented. What's been implemented is a credential framework that allows people to build like a reputation that can be used in, in, in CivKit. Now, there's going to be different users of CivKit. You know, Ray's company, No One's, is a big company. They're, they're regulated in Dubai. Their reputation system, when they interact with CivKit, they're going to have they're going to want to store KYP information, which would be fed into the credential framework. It'd still be private; no one can see it. But if you're going to trade on a No One's order book, you 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 know you you have a central authority somewhere that knows that reputation. Whereas the guy in a part of the global south, as Ray calls it, who's just basically got a small order book to trade with his local community, he doesn't need KYP. He doesn't need KYC, but he's still going to want a reputation system so that you know he reduces the, uh, the ability for other people to rug pull. But essentially, yeah, it's a, it's a reputation system that can be augmented on the back end with whatever you want, and it's so that they're you know, big companies who need KYC and AML and small individual traders have the same system, but what they put underneath that reputation system kind of is, is up to them. It's up to the order book. So, so have that all been said, like what, what, what does that incentivize people to do? Uh, what, what is the hope with all this um, coding and technology and um, work that you've done with CivKit? Um, what, what, what is the idea behind it for you on a fundamental level? Well, as I said, there's a lot. There's a lot of people who who want to trade to to survive. Yeah, so we do these weekly Twitter um, Twitter broadcasts. You know, it's it's not Bitcoiners who show up. It's people around the world that are financially limited because they're unbanked. The only way they survive is by trading. Um, you know. And we're not talking small amounts. Like some of the traders we got are dealing with millions of dollars. At the moment, these people trade on WhatsApp groups or Telegram groups. Shocking. Yeah, but that's the way the world is. I mean, you live in the UK, we have a good financial system-ish, but we do have access to banking. These guys don't. And and we're not talking about joke companies. Apparently, like in Nigeria, and I was speaking to a Nigerian trader the other day, this is because there's such an issue of getting Naira. So big companies like Dell cannot pay people in Nigeria because there's no, it's so hard for them to buy Naira. They work with Bitcoin. They work with these kind of like arbitrary, these traders to basically get Naira. And that's, that's really the use case. I mean, that's really one of the things, but you know, this is a, 
this is like BTC pay service for anyone. You can run a local one but for your community. You, I presume you wouldn't need KYC or AML there, but if you grew big enough at some point, you become a business and then you integrate that. But this is to allow everyone to trade. I mean, and that's it. It's a, an open protocol for people to trade and we provide the software, you know, Ray's quite transparent about why he's doing it. He thinks there's a, a, a limited amount of time for no one's to be able to do, you know, regulation. And they they believe that long term as a business, he can produce, you know, he can do the dispute resolution for Civkit. I wanna I want people to use, you know, mainstay attestations. And I think this is a big use case for us. But it's open, you know. We me and Ray could end up not benefiting our companies in mainstay in in Civkit. I mean, that's just one of these things. Yeah, mate, I, I can see such potential in this because obviously you're quite right in the sense that there's so many people who are unbanked or who are limited in what they can trade and who they can trade with. And um, if you think about uh, borders and different banks and jurisdictions and currencies, this just opens up the floodgates really for people to really sort of have the freedom to sort of uh, transact with each other. And that's, that's yeah. And uh, one of the things people sometimes, I mean, a lot of people have tried to do this. I mean, it's kind of known that in the initial version of Bitcoin, there was a peer-to-peer trading technology. And well, there was a lot of things in the original version of Bitcoin and that got disabled like a lot of things. So, you know, if Satoshi was a man or a woman, whoever that person was or group, they did want to enable trading in the protocol. And that hasn't happened for a variety of reasons. And there's been attempts, I think, You've got Open Bazaar. I, I don't know what happened there. I think it, they, the guy went Bcash at one point, but there's been various attempts. And there's other people building opens, you know, decentralized marketplaces. It's not just us. There's I know of about three or four that are happening right now, and yeah, maybe we'll merge. Who knows? But no one's really taken the leader here. No one's really got significant volume to to not warrant having another go at it. Yeah. Do you ever um, worry if you look at the past um, incidents where the state and centralized authority especially has come in and tried to capture different parts of the ecosystem, if you think of uh, Silk Road, for example, if CIFKIT could ever be an attack vector like this? Um, or do you think we no, sometimes put that... on too many conspiracy theory hats? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we do get asked this a lot, but you know, Silk Road was a centralized entity mm you know, selling things that they shouldn't be selling. Uh, now I have my own view on what should be legal or not, but ultimately that's what it was. This is, we're just providing software. Some people will no doubt be selling things they shouldn't be selling on CivKit, but we have no control. I can't stop that. I mean, you know, and I mean, people will use software for what they want to use it for. We have no say in that. I mean, and you know, the hope, look, regulated companies will be using CivKit. I, I know one that's already going to be using CivKit. That's no one's. Yeah. So, but no, you can't stop software the way this is, the way we're building it. Absolutely not. But I wouldn't advise anyone to do anything dodgy on this stuff at the same time. I mean, don't get yourself in trouble. But Great at your own risk, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's like BTC Pay Server. You can you can use BTC Pay Server to, to sell things you shouldn't be selling. Yeah, of course and, you uh, can, yeah. Also, uh, and at the same time, look, I can't vouch for every legal system in the world. I, I don't know mm, the laws. Mm, mm. I barely know the laws in my own country, let alone others. So. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. And uh, I think um, I want to sort of um, sort of bounce back to um, not your Bitcoin story, but something I know about you personally is that you know you're, you're quite heavily into your martial arts, and um, I want to I want to sort of know more about that. And does that have any? Um, I know. 
Uh, well, I suspect that you were into martial arts before discovering Bitcoin, but I, I, I'm wondering if there's any sort of um, overlap there now once. Because what I'm trying to get at is I know with um, martial arts, you're talking about discipline and um, you're talking about strength and things like that. And I'm just wondering whether there's anything um, in correlation to your martial arts now once you've discovered Bitcoin. Yeah, no, I, I'd, I was already teaching martial arts in New York before I got into Bitcoin, uh, just as a hobbyist. So it's just something I've always done for a bit of fun. It's an alternative way of of, of staying in shape. It's um, an alternative way to meet to meet people. I mean, now I'm you know not the youngest guy in the world anymore. Martial arts really, and especially when you work from home, which is what I do since COVID, martial arts gives me a social life outside of this this industry. Yeah, and. But yeah, always been in it. Just, just really a, a, a fun thing. Yeah, as a kid, I liked watching Jean Claude Van Damme movies. Uh, <laughs> it kind of grew from there. But uh, there was a thing in New York where we used to say, and I guess one of these things is is controversial. There's a, like a a freeway relationship between people who liked martial arts, liked psychedelics, and then liked Bitcoin. Now we'll leave it at that because one of them is, is uh, I don't know which one you think is dodgy, but one of them clearly is. But there was always that relationship which between those three, and I, I don't know why. Maybe you know, Ian. Mate, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not really into my martial arts and never really have been, but my brother, he was mad into Wing Chun and all that sort of stuff. But when it comes yeah. to psychedelics, definitely something I've uh, dabbled in and experimented with. And, um, you know, I don't shy away from that because um, I think – for me personally, with this whole psychedelics thing, um, it's given me quite great insight into who I am and my mindset. And it's, it's sort of mm-hmm. really opened up um, a lot of answers to struggles that I've had in my life. And, you know, um, I think I hear that from a lot of people as well. It, it sort of puts me in a space where I'm able to sort of uh, put things down or think things through in a more clearer way. And, um, that's what I'd really say about psychedelics personally, but, um, I would say uh, when I was in New York, um, one of the best psychedelic experience I had was being taught how to breathe by Wim Hof, the Iceman. And this was before the Iceman became kind of like a mega celebrity. He did a, he did, um, like a, a show. No, he did like a, an event in New York and he got us doing his like, you know, holotropic breath work to the point. I mean, I was blitzed off my head. I mean, and that was through all this kind of like intense breathing. And uh, he's into martial arts. He's a, you know, I got to chat with him afterwards. We went, for, you know, hanged out a bit. He's a big time martial artist, but more on the spiritual thing. He'd done a lot of Qigong, Tai Chi. And yeah, but as from a spiritual point of view, I never got him into Bitcoin. Though. I reckon he would be into it. He was that kind of guy. But um, Wim Hof breathing, it's, it's out there. It's, you know, and that's, he uses that to basically do mind over matter. That's how he's able to swim under ice caps and basically, you know, be totally irrelevant to the cold. I mean, you know, he can, he's run up in Mount Everest in his boxer shorts and crazy shit like that. And that's all for his kind of breath work and doing mind over matter. Yeah. It's funny, like people, um, really sort of put their body to the test and extremes and sort of really sort of try and connect with themselves. Um, and I've seen the the breathing techniques you're talking about, and it's, it's mm-hmm. something to witness. I mean, if you look it up on YouTube, maybe we can put it in the show notes. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it, I imagine it gives you this kind of rush of, um, mm-hmm. obviously because the amount of oxygen and sort of energy that yeah. it, it sort of invokes in you. And yeah, it's, uh, it's something I've never tried, but it's something I've, I've always been fascinated in and 
So you you actually did you actually did all that. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about Wim Hof, he's you know he's he's a genuine dude. Everything he teaches privately, it's it's on the internet. There's nothing. There's no reason for you to go to one of his seminars. I mean, again, I went to them before he got big, before he ended up on Oprah and Tim Ferriss. So um, now he's huge. It's probably quite an expensive thing, but everything he taught there, he's, he, he gives it for free. So if you just YouTube him and YouTube Vim Hof breathing, uh, you'll be there. I'm pr- I'd be curious to see how it re- reacts on you, but I was blitzed. I mean, I just got into like a, a, a trip with it and, and after he, he makes you do that. Like the, the seminars kind of split into two. So in the morning he's making you do all this weird breathing. You're, you're blitzed off your head. You're, you're, you are tripping. And then in the afternoon, he makes you basically go in these kind of like rubber dinghy swimming pool things of like ice cubes. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like going into a bucket of knives. And he's there singing with you, making you breathe to basically mind over matter, mind over matter, breathe. And like, you're like, going, oh, and your, your body's on fire from the ice, but it does work. I mean, and you feel great afterwards. You're not selling it, but um, I, I'll say <laughs> <laughs> um, No, it does sound invigorating. And um yeah, something I'm going to definitely look at now that you've mentioned it. I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm on camera and recording. I'm, it's definitely something I'm going to give a try, and I'll report back to you, Nick, and see um, how yeah, you get I, on with that. <laughs> yeah, and jump into the cold lake as well. Oh, it's winter in London here, mate. I'm sure there's plenty of deep puddles or potholes on the road that I can jump into and test that one out. But, <laughs> mate, I want to um, sort of ask you, um, going back to Bitcoin, uh, um, <laughs> is there any sort of thing that, other than the whole... Um, coding and um, technical side of it is there anything about bitcoin that that fascinates you um that interests you more than any other aspect of it um or is it just a an overall sort of respect for it um the mining thing in the last two years has really fascinated me because you know when i got into bitcoin no one really had an answer for like all the energy it's being used it was kind of like oh it's bad but you know we're libertarians if i want to if I want to spend energy on Bitcoin or a toaster or using a kettle, that's up to me. And now that mining has been like a net positive for energy, like people use it as an energy balancer, people find a way to use it for like wasted energy. That's probably been the biggest turnaround because it's gone from like being like a bad thing to actually a positive thing. And so on a personal level, I mean, Look, I live in the UK. I, I don't see us mining Bitcoin in the UK, although I would say there is stranded energy on the outer islands of Scotland. But I think dealing with local government makes that very hard right now. But I think that that's been fascinating how it's become a net positive for the environment after being seen as basically just bad, but we're libertarians, fuck you. And that, that, that's, 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 that's been the biggest surprise, if I'm, if I'm honest. And it's and it's real. I mean, look, I, I I've done a bit of work for Texas miners, just you know, in my capacity of some of the technology we've built. These guys are basically the 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 the, the last stop on the energy grid. They help balance it, and that's that's really fascinating. And I think there's more to come with that kind of stuff. You just brought up an interesting point about the um, uh, or you added in a side note, but the, we're libertarians and things. Um, the thing I've seen change massively yeah. since I've got into Bitcoin has been all the different interest groups now, you know, having Bitcoin, where I think the majority are still libertarians, but, you know, you sort of see the progressives coming in and the pro-ESG people and all of these folks. Um, how do you go about these things? Are you the truly open market guy and go, hey, everyone has a place in it? Or are there certain groups maybe even you go, hey, maybe this is an attack vector or someone else is behind this? 
thinking of people like Ripple, you know, paying for shit and stuff. Well, I'm not. I guess I'm more open-minded. I don't necessarily think shit coins are necessarily evil. Um, and I think that shit coins is a big word. I think experimentation is positive. I mean, I don't, I hold Monero. I'm, I'm, I hold various other experimental coins I, and I'm not going to shy away from that. I, I also think, you know, if you want Bitcoin to work, it's got to be a currency you, you can trade with your enemies. I, I did think if you when we've, we've talked about the UK versus the US, I did think the community in the US was very right leaning. Now I haven't gotten a problem with that, but if you if you ostracize the left, whatever your view is, then we're not winning. You know, it's got to be neutral. And I guess in in your in London, I've met a, a lot more left leaning Bitcoiners. Now I'm definitely not one of them, but I like the fact that they like Bitcoin because I think that's how we win. You know, it's got to be the money you you can trade with your your uh, your enemies and um my personal view i mean i'm not anti-statist i still want to be in a country with a government and a police <laughs> i don't want to live in mad max so uh but yeah I, I think the regulation at the moment on crypto is overbearing but i think i'm not into necessarily conspiracy theories that the governments are trying to control it i i my experience with the government and i have been to the houses of parliament in the early days they just well, politicians are pro it because politicians are pro everything. The majority of government just don't understand it. And they tend to talk to consultancy firms like Accenture, IBM. They don't understand it, but they'll do 20 PowerPoint projects and make regulation that's kind of fit for banking that doesn't really work for Bitcoin and it's a mess. But that's probably my honest view of the whole thing. So a lot of the regulation is just lack of understanding. Um, and again, if people want to regulate Bitcoin, I'm I'm all for it, but regulation, in my view, doesn't work. What's your goal? If you want to mm. stop, you know, child porno people using Bitcoin, you know, invest in the police, invest in AI systems that can track people. Don't put regulation that doesn't fit for a certain technology. Yeah, That's especially if it brings such amazing opportunities, like for example, a SIFKit or all of these marketplaces that emerge out of this, mm -hmm. where, where people, like you said, who used to trade in, uh, I don't know, Telegram, WhatsApp groups, actually now get a safer infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, look, I think if you were to get like any half decent software engineer, if you were to give them a Clark Blanche on how to find bad guys in Bitcoin, they wouldn't want regulation because they would say, well, KYP and K, K, real KYC is easy to break because we all know you can go on the dark web and buy, I could probably buy Ian's uh, KYC data. I mean, that's just the reality of it. It's not good. And KYC makes it, I think, harder to basically find bad guys on, on the internet. Whereas I think if you were to go to like me and say, hey, if MI6 contacted me and wanted me to come after bad guys, I would build software to do you know, pattern matching, tracking. I would love a public blockchain to track this stuff. And what they're doing with KYC is really they're funding regulatory firms. They're, they're giving more, more money to lawyers. They're not actually coming after the bad guys. They're just creating these massive regulation departments in banks, in exchanges, compliance firms. And we don't even know what's the point of it. It's just funding lawyers. And, you know... I insulted a lawyer earlier today and I'll insult them again. They're not adding any value to the world. We're not, we're, not, we're not coming after the bad boys. We're not reducing child porn. We're not reducing terrorist financing. We're just giving more money to lawyers, which is that the, was that the point? Yeah, I, I agree about the lawyers thing. I mean, um, I, you know, I've, I've publicly said it before about some uh, journeys I've had with, um, you know, family courts and um, 
dealing with solicitors that end and it just seems like what they're, they're certainly not adding value they're they're sucking value out of mm -hmm. uh, the people that um, need mm -hmm. um, their professionalism professionalism or their expertise in some way and um, it's definitely um, a situation of um, them exploiting people's um, difficult situations at times I'm not saying that if every solicitor obviously there are good uh, actors and bad actors out there but certainly my experience has um put a bit of taste in my mouth with some of the experience i've had with uh, people in the, mm. the legal system for sure um but with um nearly the end of the show i wanted to give you um the opportunity if you wanted to shill anything uh before we close and um are there any other sort of projects you're working on that you want to quickly mention yeah so in the next couple of weeks in fact we are actually sponsoring london bitcoin spaces next week um, we're going to be presenting hopefully a, a live version of mercury layer so mercury layer is an alternative layer two to bitcoin um, very different than lightning um, in time we would we see it as something that's going to complement lightning but at a high level it's basically it allows you to basically create a virtual open dime so you guys know open dimes you know you have these little usb sticks you can put some bitcoin on them you can throw them around and it's a way of giving bitcoin to people without them paying a transaction fee we've created this kind of way of virtualizing that um no idea if it's going to be successful i think long term if lightning is successful it could be like a lightning plus plus it could help when lightning is not usable because of you know high fees and we are doing a lot of work to integrate it into Lightning. But, but you know, from a technology point of view, you know, Bitcoiners and cryptographers like it. It's using some novel cryptography. The guy who designed the cryptography, my colleague at Commerce Block, Dr. Tom, he's going to be presenting it next week at uh, London Bitcoin Spaces. But some really novel cryptography that, that's going to be there. It's just a way of doing blinded signatures. So essentially... It doesn't actually know what it's signing. It's just basically signing a transaction anonymously. Can't see it. Doesn't even see a Bitcoin address. So it's very cool. I hope it takes off because it's. Is it practical? I don't know. We, we I think we have to integrate into uh, into Lightning long term. By yeah, that's that's something that we're trying to get a release of out at the moment. Code's all done. Um, it's, just, it's really just getting on kit and getting users using it. So, but that's uh, something we got big for ne for next month. And early next year, we hope to have a final proper release of CivKit. Like when I say proper, something where people can trade on. But yeah, at the moment, it's all working on Mercury Layer. That's that's what I'm working on 24-7. Mate, you're constantly uh, ticking away of working on something. And I you know, respect that because that's what Bitcoin's all about, right? We've got to try and get things out there, experiment and, and build the infrastructure yeah. um, for us to sort of like move Bitcoin forward and... Um, I respect your work and thank you for that. And thank you for your finite time here today at Rabbit Hole Stories with us. Um, a lot of what you've said um, obviously is sort of um, beyond my understanding of things, but it's certainly good to sort of talk to you about um, the technical side of Bitcoin. And it's something mm -hmm. I'm sort of keen to learn and it's a rabbit hole I'm sort of scratching um, down the surface. And obviously um, it's a, an interesting space and something that, Maybe I'm too old to sort of really fully comprehend, no. but <laughs> um, it's um, fascinating listening to you. But uh, before we close um, our episode, we do the All Roads Lead Back to Bitcoin challenge for each of our guests because we want to prove the hypothesis that all roads do, in fact, lead back to Bitcoin. And 
what we do is we usually give our guests a word, a phrase or a name, and somehow you've got to try and, whether it's philosophical or direct or sort of any other way, try and relate that back to Bitcoin somehow. And Joel and I have been doing um, some I stuff. I can't use ChatGBT, can I? <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? Why not? But um, I'm joking. Joel and I have been doing some stuff chatting in the background um, and uh, we've come up with the word, uh, or the name, sorry, Bruce Lee. And uh, we thought it might be an interesting one for you to try and relate that back to Bitcoin somehow. So good luck uh, with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually have his book, Striking Thoughts, there. What's uh, the book called? Striking Thoughts. Striking Thoughts. That might be a clue as to some sort of uh, relating that back to Bitcoin, right? Yeah. But he, he famously said, don't, don't look where the finger's pointing, but, you know, in the action of the finger. And I think sometimes with Bitcoin, we, uh, we, uh, we get, if you go on Twitter, it does look like a shit show, people fighting, mm-hmm. drama. But, you know, you, you forget the, event, the eventual goal is to have currency that can't be manipulated, you know, and in theory, if we have a more stable asset in the world, governing the world, there's going to be, you know, I'm not convinced Bitcoin fixes everything, but potentially a, a more fairer world, a more a world where it's a bit more things are more understood. I don't think anyone really understands money, and that includes myself. And that's because of the way money's printed, hypothesized, hypothesized, whatever that word is, the relationship with other countries in Europe and the you know and the dollar. None of us really understand it. All the derivatives. I think Bitcoin bring will make that more stable, and I think. By having that simpler, maybe we won't be funding wars that we don't really know we funded. <laughs> and right. maybe that makes the world a better place. But No, I like that. Thank you, mate. And um, like I said, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with us today. And um, you're definitely a friend of the show and uh, you're welcome back anytime. So if there's anything in the future that you're working on, um, you're more than welcome to come on and have a chat with us about it. Uh, for the uh, people that are listening to us, thank you for coming on again and listening to us and stay curious.